Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Wakis-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. It is indeed time again for another episode of The Entrepreneurial You podcast. I am your host, Henneka Wakis-Porter. I'm the creator of the show, the producer, and everything, you know, as it relates to the entrepreneurial you. So yeah, welcome back to my regular listeners and viewers for those who are tuning in live and also will catch the replay. For those who are listening to the podcast, a very special welcome to you. And if you are tuning in for the very first time, I'd love to ask, where have you been all this time? Anyway, as you know, I love to say better late than never. And you are here and I appreciate you for joining me today. So last week, you would have recalled that I spoke with Gaurav Sharma, straight out of India, and incredibly India. I just love India, right? The founder and CEO of Attract. Um, Attract is a results-driven digital marketing company and a certified Google Analytics and Google Ads professional. And interestingly, he has scaled you know, an agency from a five-figure to a seven-figure income in just two years. And I believe that is remarkable increasing leads by 10 times, conversion rate by 2.8 times, and traffic to over 300,000 per month using content marketing, SEO, influencer marketing, and all of these things, right? So amazing conversation we had last week. If you have not yet checked it out, go check it out. Well, this week, you are in for a treat. Another uh, insightful conversation will be had as I'm going to be talking with someone who owns and runs an accounting firm and a remote staffing company, both of which focus on servicing uh, homeowners association management companies. But of course, before I bring him on, you know that I have to express gratitude, right? Gratitude is a must. And if I don't give gratitude, then, you know, I just have to thank the people who make the mayor go round. So we thank the Jamaica Stock Exchange for continuously supporting what we are doing here at the Entrepreneurial You podcast. We needed to raise capital, but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Now, Rob Buffington is my guest on episode 311 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Rob is an experienced consultant in the homeowners association management space and brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to management companies and mid-sized businesses that um, struggle with vendor services, staffing, bookkeeping, 
and other management issues. So he owns and he runs an accounting firm, which is highly involved in local charity work. And he has built on an employee profit sharing model. So everyone benefits from um, the success of their collective business ventures. Isn't that wonderful? Welcome, Rob. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. And my first question to you is, what do you know about the Jamaican culture? Uh, not not much. As I said, I was I was in the Antilles just a few days ago, so fairly close to you. But to be honest, I don't know much about Jamaica. Yeah. And of course, he said that to me prior to us going live, both on the podcast and recording. Like, oh, there was thinking, oh, I didn't hear you say that. <laughs> All right. No problem. Well, um, the fact that you know we're close, that's that's a little, you know, a little past mark for you right there. We have so, so much of a rich culture, you know, this culture that, that um, speaks to our music or food, you know, or artists and um, you know, fashion, everything that you can think of. And we're just so naturally endowed, you know, with natural resources, our people are warm and friendly. So that's just a summary for you, Rob. Let's get straight into it. All right. All right. So we want to talk about efficient strategies for remote staffing. Now, clearly you are a pro at this. You're an expert at this, right? So when did you get into remote staffing was it prior to COVID-19? It was we did remote staffing before it was cool um <laughs> I, there's, a, there's a quote I believe it was Niels Bohr who says an expert is someone who has made all possible mistakes in his or her field and so if that's the case I, I'll say I'm close to it um <laughs> I started back in 2017 I believe it was with my own internal companies hiring remote staff and it was so successful that we just went all in on it. And again, several years before COVID, so we were primed to take advantage of it. And what happened was I was speaking with a friend of mine, just comparing notes one owner to another, doing a little informal consulting. And he said, that, that sounds amazing. Can you help me do that? And so I said, well, sure, I know somebody who's looking for a job. And so he hired her and she's actually still working there. And then he hired a couple more and he told a friend. And so Gordian staffing was actually a complete and total accident. Um, certainly glad that it happened, but it was one of the few businesses I have that never really intended to start. Mm, interesting. Like I keep telling people as well that I started the whole podcasting thing and you know, just doing stuff online before it was cool, you know, mm -hmm. um, before COVID-19 made it a thing. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like we were way ahead of our time, um, yeah. you know, back then. And, and it, it, it's so beautiful to know that, you know, it, many of us caught on that you don't need to be in a physical space to be effective. You know, mm -hmm. you can do work remotely, have meetings remotely. Um, as Zoom existed before COVID-19. Talk to me about um, why did you go this route initially, though? Um, you know, why did you not enter into the brick and mortar stuff? Um, there were a couple of reasons. I'm a younger guy, so part of it was I didn't have any corporate experience. My first successful company was in property management, and I actually couldn't get a job in the property management space. I applied everywhere. I even offered to work for six months for free if somebody would hire me to give me the experience and no one would hire me. So I waited, and when I found a small property management company for sale, I went and bought it. 
Uh, and so that was both good and bad that I had absolutely zero experience. And obviously I made some mistakes that I could have avoided, but at the same time, I had no bad habits to break. So when it came time to grow and scale, it didn't occur to me that I needed to have a brick and mortar office. I did I had just set it up the way I thought it should be set up. And some of the ideas were good. Some of them were bad. And, but on the whole, it worked out really well. Some were good, some were bad, but it worked out well. Love that. Let's talk about the bad ones first. Mm. What were some? <laughs> Let's go. We, we only have 30 minutes. I don't think right? we have that long. <laughs> I think a lot of them were people mistakes. You look back and, and my mistakes in regards to people. I think that looking back, there are so many employees in the early days that I, I'm almost tempted to call and apologize to because they didn't work out. And I, I know now with the benefit of hindsight that it was more my fault than theirs, that I didn't have the structure. I didn't have the training. I just, I knew that I needed help and I'm hiring you to help me. So why aren't you helping me? And I didn't realize I need to teach you and I need to have instructions and clear objectives and metrics and just so much that I didn't understand. Um, but some of those failures led into the successes. Going back to your original question of what got me in into remote management so much or remote staffing, excuse me, is bad employee experiences. Um, being in California, there were some difficult laws. The cost of living was very high and it was very difficult to retain talent. Um, so eventually we reached a point of frustration where we said, why not try from other countries? Why not try remote staff? Mm -hmm. uh, and we did. And our first hire is actually still with us today, uh, five or six years later. Interesting. You know, um, when I hear you talk about those people mistakes, like I look back, like hindsight is so 2020 and you connect the dots, as um, Steve Jobs says, looking back. Right. And you realize that along the way you would have made some mistakes and these mistakes that you would have made, they are not only, um, you know, specific to remote work. I personally made oh, some sure. mistakes. When I, I operated brick and mortar, I had a clothing store, and I'm so proud as I display always in, in, in my office, although I'm no longer doing that business, the logo for the business, right? The brand, um, Pato Apparel. And so I would have made numerous mistakes in terms of warning persons to um, perhaps be me and to approach mm -hmm. it in the way, like to know, just to know exactly what I'm thinking, what needs to be done and get sure. it done. <laughs> that, like, and I look back to it and I'm like, oh my gosh, it was all me. It was never them. You know, yeah. I needed to provide that support. And so, so I'm totally with you there. Um, so let's talk about though. So, we, we, you know, that was one of the major one, the people and, and people is really what make your business uh, thrive or not, you know? Sure. Um, if you're not managing people well, if you are not giving them that support, then clearly you're going to have a failed business. So let me ask you, when when did you recognize that, hey, wait a minute, I am doing something wrong here. You know, I need to level up. Oh, I think it's a process. I don't think there's one epiphany moment where everything mm -hmm. falls into place. I think it's one day at a time, one book at a time, one mistake at a time, and little by little you evolve and you learn. Um, I mean, one of the biggest changes, I think, was the realization that you can't treat employees the way that you would want to be treated, as crazy as that is. Because we, we think of the golden rule, and as, and as that rely, treat others the way you would want to be treated. And as they relate to neighbors, of course, and friends, of course, but as a business owner, you can't treat your employees the way that you would want to be treated because 
I would want to be given a loose set of objectives, resources, and be told to go get it. That's not what most employees want. Most employees want the structure and the check-ins and the training. And so you have to do that. And then each employee wants something a little different. So you have to evaluate and see what they need and then provide ongoing feedback. So that's one of the biggest changes and biggest uh, lessons that I learned. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about now the the wins for you. So we know some of the struggles and you have, you know, we've, we've zoned in on the people process, but let's talk mm -hmm. about um, some of those efficient strategies that persons who consider remote working, uh, remote staffing um, needs to implement to make their business a success. One of the lessons that I go through when I do my consulting with clients is I ask them, I want you I ask them if you were just buying this company today and there were no staff involved and you were just buying the business, you have you have a factory, you need to do this, you have a service business, you need to produce that. Just start with a blank slate. I want you to build the organizational chart that you would have. Would you combine any roles? Would you split duties? Would you ca cause redundancies or would you make things remote? Because too often working with people, they say, well, I couldn't implement that change. It's too, it's too drastic from what we're doing now. But the truth is you should look at it as though you were buying a company or starting a company from scratch and build it that way. Because rather than just changing five or 10%, you need to look at it from the outside. So for example, being with remote staffing, I hear this one a lot. Well, we couldn't replace that person with a remote employee because they have to do this once a week. And I always just give them a minute to listen to, to themselves say it. And then I ask, well, is there any reason that somebody else locally couldn't do that? And then the remote employee could take a little bit of their work. And invariably, they just kind of stop and go, well, I, I guess there is no reason. I guess there's no reason they couldn't. And that's where I go back to having zero experience was actually kind of a blessing for me because too many people, they just have these blinders and these set job descriptions and they can tweak them and COVID made us tweak them just a little bit, but it's, we still think in this box that we were, we were trained in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we have to let go of. So in terms of where your staffing comes from um, mostly, where is that? We have two offices in Mexico. We have one in Guadalajara and one in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. um, between the two offices, we have right around 400 employees. Oh, interesting. And they're all they're all coming out of, of Mexico. That's right. Okay, fantastic. What's the culture like, the work culture, vis-a-vis -vis what you're used to? Um, I mean, every country is going to be a little bit different, but so far we found it a very... Um, fertile field, a great place to find employees, uh, particularly English speaking, tech friendly, excited for the work. They're wonderful in customer service. They're great at dealing with people. The number one compliment we get is it's not the cost savings. It's not the HR liability. It's they're so pleasant to work with. They have such a great attitude. The customers love talking to them. So they're incredibly valuable in that sense. And being so close to the United States, there's a shared work, a shared culture when it comes to the spoken language and how things sound fluidly. And it doesn't it doesn't give you the feeling of talking to a call center or being in a, an experience with somebody who doesn't quite understand. So it's it's been a very good uh, experience for both parties. 
Mm-hmm. And then the advantage of being in Mexico is it's close enough that we have a client today is it is February, of course, and we had a client who just yesterday flew down to meet with their team. Uh, I'll be going down next week to meet with my team and do some leadership training or vice versa. If you have somebody who's doing really well, fly them up to the States very simply and without a lot of time or hassle uh, to do extensive training there. So it's a lot more closer in both a work culture and a country culture than a lot of places farther away. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, and I want to be clear, we're talking about remote staffing and not necessarily the staff working remotely. We have offices so that they know there's a place they can come and get support and get but help. But they can also so work we, from home, right? They do 98%, 99% do work from home okay. because the client they're working for is already remote. So they might as well take advantage of that and save on the commute time, cost of gas and transportation. Um, the only, only the most sensitive positions, such as maybe a controller who has a key fob they need to check in or out or something very sensitive like that would work in the office. Most of the time, almost always, we encourage work from home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's almost not correct to say the post-COVID era because we're not post-COVID as much as we want to believe that. Yeah. But as we are approaching the post-COVID era, what does the right business model look like for remote staffing? I mean, the first thing I'll say is I absolutely have never in my life gone to a client and said, if you let this person go, we'll save you some money. That's that's not what we do at any stretch. If you have good people, do whatever you can to keep them. But as labor shortages have arisen and as cost of, of employees have gone up and made margins thinner, people are coming to us when they have open positions and asking, can this be done remotely? So the first thing is to look at it and going back to what we talked about earlier, don't assume that the job has to look exactly like the last person who did it, uh, Mm -hmm. their job description. I remember one of my companies, we had an operations manager leave. And I remember I did the job for a few weeks after he left to just kind of get a feel for it and plan for the next one and kind of redo the job description. And I, I left just going, what was he doing for 40 hours a week? So we ended up combining it with another position entirely and saving quite a lot of money in that aspect. Mm-hmm. But people should also ask, is there a technology that can automate it? Is there now that AI is becoming much more mainstream, yes, is there a way to incorporate chat bots, stuff like that? So just pretend that you've never hired this person before and just let your mind wander. I tell people even take a notepad and just say, if I had an extra person, you know, oh, this would be great to have so-and-so do, or this would have a great person to have this person do, and just kind of start from the ground up and imagine it. Um, and don't limit yourself because it's not entry-level positions. It's it's anything. As I said, we have controllers, we have office managers, we have vice presidents. We have so many skilled people with bachelor's and master's degrees that can do any number of things. And a lot of times it's just a matter of people shaking off the mental box that they're in because they'll hire one person and think, oh, it's just an entry level position. And then they'll realize, oh, you know what? I could use somebody to do this. And then they'll hire two more. And then within six months, all of their positions are coming through us unless it's something that needs to be done in the office. Mm-hmm. So essentially what you do for your company, talk us through for um, for companies who consult you. Yeah. Consult with you. At the end of the day, we're basically a headhunter. I tell mm-hmm. people, we try not to make it complicated. 
you come to us with positions. We find you great people to do it that work from home. The home is just a little bit farther away. And then because they're in another country, we provide all the administration vis-a-vis the benefits, the payroll taxes, the health insurance. We pay our people very well with the fringe benefits that they get. Uh, and we're very proud of the offering we have because it provides for good long-term jobs for our employees. Mm-hmm. So they get paid above market, the client saves money, and it's a win-win. Okay, so you charge your clients X amount and that X amount covers whatever needs to go to the employee in addition to what you would keep for you know yourself, the company. That's right. Okay, sounds good. I mean, you're taking, obviously taking away um, a lot of the hassle out of the staffing process. I mean, I know running a business and, and having to manage hiring people and all of that, it is, or it can be a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so if we, you know, if we can find a solution in your company to do that, then hello, um, yeah. welcome that, right? <laughs> Absolutely well, And all the mm-hmm. all the time on resumes that have no business applying, that just kind of s- spam their resumes out there. And it's like, I wish you the best of luck, but this has nothing to do with the job or interviews that people don't show up for or things like that. There's so much time that we spend. On average, we spend about 60 hours per round of candidates that we present. And so when the client interviews though, interviews those, our philosophy is that any of those should be able to do the job. It's just a matter of finding the right fit. Let's talk about some of those engagement metrics and you know um, those 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 factors, those KPIs that you set mm-hmm. for the persons. How do you maintain or ensure that you know people are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? We provide the information to the clients, and we believe that the most effective way to do it is to plug in directly to their org chart. So just like you would with your domestic employees, these would report to one of your in-house supervisors. Otherwise, you begin to look at it as internal and external employees, and they begin to be viewed as second-class citizens. So we have them in the same org chart as anybody else. And then we provide a list of, well, you know, if it's customer service rep, how about your missed call percentage, or you can track first call resolution or average processing time. And, and we help our clients do that. Um, but, but we're not a call setter. So we like to in- enable our clients to do it themselves because each client wants something a little bit different. Mm, ah, so you have tailored according to the customers, the client's needs. I recognize that you've done a lot of charity work. Um, you know, you're giving back a lot having been so successful with your company. Tell me something, Rob, why is this important to you giving back? And what are some of the projects that you're involved with that you can share with my community? In terms of the why, it's it's my personal beliefs. I, I believe that I'm not, that it's not my money. I believe that I'm a steward of this money and it's my job to do good with it. Um, and I believe part of why we're successful is because we do that um, and that we make it a budget item, that it's the more we make, the more we give and, and the better we do, the better we help people. We like to focus a couple of things rather than just writing a check to 20 different things. We like to research and pick our charities and then become a minority partner in assisting those people. So for example, our accounting firm, we do free bookkeeping for a lot of our cha- the charities that we work with because sometimes it's difficult to get quality accounting work and that saves them money. Uh, in terms of what we support, there's a great orphanage in Guadalajara called Sueños y Esperanzas. Uh, I've been on the board there for several years and that's an orphanage that supports um, almost a hundred 
orphans uh, there in Guadalajara with nearly 100% adoption rate. And one of the things I love about that is that it's run so efficiently that the, the children are well taken care of, the, the place is very well organized. It runs with all the fervor and passion of a business, but towards charity. And I've often thought that it's it's a shame that our best minds go into business, which is not wrong, but we save none of that fire and skill and, and tenacity for charity. And so that's one of my favorites because the person who runs it is just an absolute force and, and runs it so well, um, better than any business could be run. So we love that one. There's another one called Because International that we've been working with for about a year now. And they manufacture uh, shoes for children in, in impoverished areas. And it doesn't sound like much, but with the unsanitary living conditions, so many diseases come from stepping on a nail or a piece of glass or just getting pricked by something. So it does a lot of good. And the shoes are actually designed. It's called a shoe that grows. Uh, it, they have straps that can be undone so the shoe can grow up to five sizes. Because when you're a kid, you need new shoes every year at least. So these shoes are made to last several years and can grow with the child. Um, so there's that one. There's the Set Me Free Foundation here in Omaha, Nebraska, we've been working with recently. They're, they do education for young people fighting human trafficking, um, which was just an absolute eye-opening experience for me to learn so much about the dangers here and, and just how prevalent it is and how to be on guard. So they go into schools and, and train people and, and uh, teach kids what to look out for, particularly in this day of social media. Um, so those are just some of the ones, but we're, we're very passionate about that. I really love the fact that, you know, you recognize that you are a steward because many business persons do not recognize that indeed we are stewards of what we have. You know, we, it's really not ours. We're just stewards, really. And so you giving back, it's a beautiful thing. And I'd just like to ask the question, how is it that, uh, business owners in general can make their businesses charitable and how to make charities kind of run as businesses? That's that's one of my real heart's desires is to find the right way to do that. And I, I don't know if I have the answer to that. Um, with In terms of how businesses can be charitable, my personal belief, and I could be dead wrong with this, is make sure that you're charitable with your profits, not your business. In my early days, I, I tried to be profitable with my business and I would I would take risks on people and I would give people chances based on their need and things like that. There's, there's absolutely a place for that and that's a good thing. But eventually what I found is those would be the same people that would struggle and would have difficulties over and over again. Um, and that kind of became the value for what was important for them was that, oh, well, I, I need, I need and it just it became difficult and it wasn't fair to the other employees that were working and so instead of going about it that way we've been very passionate about making it part as i said part of our budget every year we look at our goals and we look at everything we say well last year we gave this we want the business to grow by this charity has to grow by at least this thing and so we make sure that it's a line item not a discretionary um, I, I forget, I think it's Parkinson's law that a task will always expand to fill the amount yeah. of time allotted for it. Yes, uh, yes. The, the same thing is true of money. If you say, well, I'll give at the end of the year and before December 31st, I'll, I'll, whatever we have left over, I'll give. It doesn't work like that. So we decide up front, this is what we're going to do every month for each of our charities, just like a budget item. And if we have more, absolutely, we'll give more. But we're not going to be 
caught at the end of the year and realize that we invested everything in our business and have nothing left to invest in the people and, and the community that we want to. Uh, and in terms of the charity, I would say, don't be afraid to run it like a business because there's nothing wrong with using business sense to, to run your business, your, uh, your charity effectively. And a lot of charities think that the two are mutually exclusive, that you can't have good business principles and run a charity. And I, I, I don't believe that at all. I think the two go hand in hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so impressed by that too, because I'm in the process of registering my social enterprise um, mm -hmm. which is a mentorship, a free mentorship program for women for 12 weeks. And I'm so proud and passionate about that. So, you know, just meeting with my consultant, no, it is taking me to the process of putting together my strategic plan and all the things that would be necessary to get funding and, you know, to go global with it. So I think I may call on you for some of your expertise at some point. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can teach you about some of my mistakes for sure. Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, we are about to wrap now, Rob. Let's talk about your final thoughts as it relates to, you know, efficient strategies for remote staffing. Let's talk about that. And we also want to talk about how it is that we can get in touch with you. Sure. Closing thoughts, I would say, is make sure that you know what a person is supposed to be doing when you hire them, whether they're domestic or remote. You're not hiring somebody for eight hours of their time. You're hiring them for their work product and find out what that work product is and measure the work product. Don't micromanage eight hours of the day. Figure this person is supposed to answer, you know, this many calls per day and miss only this percent and have this percentage customer satisfaction, find out those numbers, that information and track that and make sure the person knows what that is too, so they can track it. So I would say focus on that rather than just bringing on people and bringing on people because you'll begin to cycle through them. Uh, in terms of how to find out, find us, um, you can check out my website at slicingthegordianknot.com or find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, and finding you on Instagram, is it your same name, your your name, or is it the company's name that you want to share? Uh, we have both. We have Gordian Staffing, and then we have Rob Buffington uh, 13, I believe is the handle. Awesome sauce. It has been a pleasure talking with you, Rob. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to spend with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And what has been the standout moment for you? with Rob Buffington as we had this conversation, right? What, what has that been for you? Um, it's just the learnings, I think, for me, you know, and even though I I had not, well, Rob wasn't talking about, you know, um, brick and mortar and, and, and offices and stuff for the most part, but I can relate to a lot of those staffing issues. I can relate to my experience, my flaws at the time and how, those affected, you know, how successful the business was or not at certain points because I wanted people to be like me. I wanted those that I employ to just know what to do and just do it, you know. Um, I kind of was lazy, didn't want to take the time to teach or perhaps I didn't have the time to teach. Well, I didn't make the time. But anyways, we want to under the bridge, right? What has been your standout moment for today? Please send me your feedback at hennikawatkisportrait.gmail.com or you can find me on social media at Henneke Watkins Porter. Remember to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app or connect with me for all things podcasting at HennekeWatkinsPorter.com. 
According to the scriptures today, gracious words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 16, verse 24. What goes? 